0: Well, for a while over the weekend, it seemed like Vladimir Putin was suggesting the West had already declared war with its imposition of sanctions. But in context, he was really saying it was like a declaration of war, but a no-fly zone would be a declaration of war. And it seems no one is planning that anytime soon. But we can expect more volatility this week as the fighting continues. And what does that mean for central banks fighting inflation? And indeed, for the Australian dollar, which is enjoying five-year highs against the euro right now. It's Monday. The 7th of March, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar finished uh, the week more than 2% up on the DXY index last week with a 0.9% rise on Friday alone. It's up, it's above 98.6 now, which is the highest since May 2020. The big moves on Friday in currencies were quarter percent fall in the euro and 0.9% falling the pound, but the Aussie up 0.6%. In fact, the Aussie climbed 2% last week while the euro fell 3%. So in a week... Uh, the euro to the Aussie has fallen 4.8 percent to below a dollar fifty, which is the lowest since 2017. And stocks on Friday red everywhere. The Nasdaq down 1.7 percent. The S and P down 0.8 percent. The Dow down 0.5 percent. But uh, Europe was slogged particularly hard. Euro stocks 50 fell almost five percent on Friday. The Dax was down 4.4 percent. Asian shares down as well. We had a two and a half percent fall in the Hang Seng, uh, with a 0.6% fall. The ASX 200 looked like it uh, got off comparatively lightly, didn't it, on Friday? And the race to bonds is seeing yields sliding down 11 basis points for 10 year treasuries on Friday to 1.73%. Still a long way to go before we get back to where we were at the start of the year. And oil, how high will it go? Almost, uh, 7% up for Brent on Friday uh, up to $118 a barrel uh, which is the highest in 10 years and even then you know it's only ever fleetingly been at that level uh, let's remind ourselves though it did spend quite a few years from 2011 to 2014 when it was consistently almost over $100 so these are certainly unusual times and to talk about how unusual here's Tapas Strickland from NAB in Sydney look if uh, Tapas if oil wasn't expensive enough the FT is reporting uh, this morning that Washington is trying to get a coordinated embargo on russian oil Although well, i'm not actually sure how much of it is is getting through although we did have this report that shell apparently have been uh buying russian crude uh 28.50 below the brent price uh and i think they're paying for it with their their share price so it's interesting times isn't it because we've got you know the what is it seems the logical thing to do you know if you're trying to make a profit and then there's ethics understandably getting in the way and that seems to be taking control of the markets a lot of the time.
1: Uh, good morning, Phil. Uh, yes, there has been an incredible wild ride over the past week in, in terms of markets and uh, Russia, Ukraine, obviously the biggest driver there. And the big fear at the moment really is that rapid rise in commodity prices that we have seen due to those sanctions and as companies, as you're noting, um, are self-sanctioning themselves as well. And you just mm. can't find many buyers or willing buyers uh, to, to buy Russian oil at, at the moment with a few exceptions, as, as you just noted then <clears throat> it's just worth noting the Bloomberg Commodity Index hit a fresh seven and a half year high on Friday, and that brings its weekly gain to 13 percent and uh, the biggest weekly increase yep. since its index inception in 1960. So it's not only oil driving higher, it is a broad base across the whole commodity complex, and that's bringing into question um, in terms of the growth outlook and also the inflation outlook as
0: well. Yeah. And then, you know, raises the question about what do central banks do for all of this? Because obviously Europe is there and timely that the ECB is meeting this week. I mean, Europe is definitely paying the price for this, isn't it? In equities, in FX, that euro-US divide that we've been talking about is widening and presumably it could be like that for some time because across all classes uh europe is taking a hammering from this
1: but well, definitely and europe is very exposed in terms of the growth front of obviously given its historical trade links yeah. with both ukraine and russia but also on the inflation front just given its high exposure to russian gas and other russian oil um products as as well And uh, just to give you some illustration for where financial markets are thinking, where this may go, you look at the US 2s, 10s curve at the moment, it's currently sitting at 24.9 basis points. Uh, and a six basis points worth of flattening on Friday. And the twos five's curve is at 15.5 basis points. So very close to being fully flat or, or almost going, tipping into inverted territory there. And indeed, when you look at the euro dollar adjusted rate, it's inverted from September 2023. So markets are pricing in that scenario of a stagflationary environment where you have both high, relatively high inflation and also the possibility of a recession uh, sometime next year. And that's at least what markets are pricing at, at the moment. That's the reason why so yield that, curves d- have started to
0: invert. Yeah, fl- flattened. Yeah, so doesn't that change the attitude then to central banks as to how hard they go? Because uh, I mean, the ECB is the interesting one, isn't it? Because, I mean, they've they've been uh, obviously been fairly dovish all along. There was an expectation, as still is, I think that maybe this week, that they'll end um, their bond buying. But on the other side, you know, if the economy is doing badly, they may need a bit more fiscal expenditure. They, you know, there might be a need to monetize a bit more government debt. They could actually go the other way, couldn't they? Yeah. So
1: the ECB meets on Thursday, and it's likely they're going to try and maintain as max uh, as much flexibility, just given the uncertainties mm. that that you spoke about. And we think the pandemic purchase program does come to an end, but the asset purchase program continues at around uh, twenty uh, billion euros. month through to the end of Q2. And I think there'll be a lot of flexibility around that program if if it's needed in order to provide a little bit more uh, stimulatory policy um, as the year progresses and as those growth effects and the impact from high commodity prices become more evident. In that feature, it's likely that the ECB will push out notions of a rate hike there. But just given the uncertainties, particularly in the inflation environment, I don't think they can rule out uh, rate hikes uh, later this year. So I think maximum Flexibility is the approach there, and in, in, indeed, when you look at um, some of the central bank comments that came out on Friday, it's it's all still pointing towards, at least on the US side, that they're thinking that they're b- behind the curve. And um, Chair Powell on Friday, uh, oh, sorry, on Thursday, gave the first hints of that. Um, and the Feds Evans also spoke on Friday and said he thought that Fed policy was wrong-footed, and um, that that happened very quickly. and The Fed's Evans even mooted the possibility of the Fed hiking by 25 basis points at each meeting, in order to get the Fed funds rate up to 1.75 to 2%, which would be closer to where the Fed thinks neutral is, and where they think mm. um, policy probably needs to be in order to be flexible to react to that inflationary environment out there.
0: Well, I've asked this question a million times because I still don't get it. In this environment where oil is one of the major drivers of that inflation, how is monetary policy going to change the the It's not going to change the price of oil, uh, and consumers are going to feel the squeeze. How is it going to change behaviour? Uh,
1: indeed, and it's, it's more about preventing the change in, in behaviour. So if you've got high headline inflation even if it's just driven by the oil price but here it's being driven by a whole heap of broad swath of commodities due to sanctions. Um, the possibility of that being embedded into inflation expectations and then that temporary impact um, becoming more broad based as uh, the months and years progress and that's what the central banks are going to be trying to fight against. So any signs of inflation expectations rising above their long run average levels then central banks will want to start to react to that. And just to give you some indication of where the Fed could go here, um, on Thursday in Powell's uh, Senate um, uh, testimony, he was asked a question by Senator Shelby saying, are you prepared to do what it takes to get inflation under control or protect price stability? And the Senator was referring to the era of Paul Volcker where some pretty aggressive rate hikes came through. And Powell's answer was, and I hope history will record that the answer to your question is yes, um, so it does seem to suggest at least the US Fed is willing uh, to tighten uh, in front of higher commodity prices and just given the extent of inflationary
0: pressures. And we do get an update on CPI in the US on Thursday. Mm. And we've got, we had non-farm payrolls, of course, on Friday as well. Uh, normally, it'd be quite a lot of attention. But uh, and, you know, if it wasn't for the Ukraine war, we'd probably be rejoicing the numbers because they were strong. 687,000 new jobs, uh, a fall in the unemployment rate. And importantly, the wage growth slowed as well. Average hourly, hourly earnings. Down from five point seven percent down to five point one percent. The consensus, I think, was that it would pick up a little. So all of that was good news. Obviously, <laughs> completely ignored in the face of uh, of, uh, of what's happening uh, in Ukraine. But I mean, that was I, 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 that would you know that would be a hope, wouldn't it, that inflation was getting under control? Just those average hourly earnings figures. If it wasn't for the fact that now we've got all of this uh, this commodity issue to contend with.
1: Oh, definitely, it, it, it would suggest that perhaps there is a little bit of uh, alleviation of. The kind of wage pressures that we're seeing in the US, but when you look through the details, the the industry basis was very noisy. So to us, at the moment, at least, mm. it just suggests a bit of volatility in the data in terms of the wages print. But that headline payrolls print, being at six hundred seventy eight thousand against four hundred twenty three thousand expected, did help settle US equity futures after that very uh, big negative lead from Europe on Friday, and <clears throat> and sorry, and does suggest that. Uh, The US, at least at the moment, still has a lot of growth momentum in it, uh, whereas it's already evident in Europe that that growth is starting to to, to slow. So that divergence between the US and Europe it probably highlights. And uh, in terms of the... Euro dollar that we were speaking about earlier, it probably yeah. just highlights <clears throat> the strength that we're being seeing in the US dollar and the weakness that we're likely to right. continue to see in the euro as well.
0: Yeah. That Europe divide between the US, I mean, there's a, of course, Australia is you know in amongst all of this as well. It's almost Australia and New Zealand going off on their own along with other commodity currencies. So how protected is Australia from all this market turmoil because our shares were down less than most the currency obviously is one of the few that's holding up against this rising u.s dollar commodity prices are rising uh you know nobody wants to benefit from a war but it seems like we are sheltered from the the financial repercussions at least and and aussie bond yields up 19 basis points in the last month in germany they've gone down 28 basis points so we are offered off on a different tangent aren't we
1: it does seem like the old tyranny of Distance is playing to our advantage there. And when you look at the yeah. Aussie and the Kiwi for the week, I think the Aussie's up 2%, Kiwi's up 1.7%. And as you noted before, the euro was around 3% lower on, on the week. Um, so there does seem to be some suggestion that, at least in the commodity space, that's providing a pretty good tailwind for commodity producers there. And I think as long as you do have that continued lift in oil and gas prices, that is quite positive for for the Australian economy and we got the trade balance last week and the trade balance was at second highest ever. So as those commodity prices start to feed through, that's going to uh, feed through to an even higher trade balance uh, and also feed through to government revenues as well. Um, I think the support for the Aussie can last unless um, you see a very big flagging down in global equities Um, because I think the commodity currency is still very risk sensitive there. Um, so if you were to see a uh, more comprehensive fall in global equities and global risk sentiment, then I think the Aussie and the Kiwi would struggle in the face of that.
0: Well, I didn't like reading uh, this in the, in the Daily Telegraph in, uh, in the UK, uh, the BCA research from Canada say, saying uh, everyone should be bullish on stocks because – the consequences of the worst case scenario are so horrendous that we're actually not going to be worrying about too much about your portfolio. So you've got to look through that and assume that you know we're going to have some some good results. So maybe there'll be a bit of a, a bounce back. Uh, but uh, short term, I mean, European banks presumably are are exposed if they're holding Russian debt. I mean, bank stocks are everywhere seem to seem to be well down. What happens as well if Russia de- defaults on its debt, which which seems likely? I mean, it's scheduled for March the sixteenth for its dollar debt. I mean, presumably it will if it's a cancer frozen. How, do, how can it even pay its debts off?
1: Well, I think, uh, uh Putin, uh, President Putin made a headline, I think it was on Saturday saying, uh, Russia would mm. pay for its debts in, in rubles. Um, so I guess, I guess going to try and um, make those payments, uh, some way and whether, paying in rubles constitutes a default or not. Um, It's it's unclear, but I think it's quite, quite clear markets are well-priced for that event. So when you look at Russian dollar denominated sovereign bonds, I think they're trading around 17 cents in the dollar. Uh, and you look at CDS and that's hovering around the kind of 50 to 60% chance of, of, of default. So um, I think markets are well priced for that to occur. And um, just worth noting, you noted about how maybe some bargain buyers will start to come in here, uh, especially um, mm. in the bank stuff. Um, when you look at dis- distressed debt, uh, the Wall Street Journal has a pretty good article saying the distressed debt investors, are thinking of buying the dip, particularly in Ukrainian sovereign debt, um, which is currently trading at 22 cents in the dollar there. So um, while there are a lot of headwinds out there, I think... Think there'll be some players, at least, seeing whether there are some opportunities in some certain aspects.
0: And this is probably too big a question to ask so late in the in the podcast. But the question about contagion. uh So I had a look at flight radar just out of interest to see which airlines are flying over Russian airspace right now, and it's basically Chinese airlines and Middle Eastern airlines. So the role of China is interesting, obviously. Um, and I wonder whether one of the questions that will be asked about uh, about the UAE and places like that is how much Russian money is finding itself there? Because of course the UAE uh, refused to to join the uh, UN Security Council in condemning Russia. So, I mean, could, contagion to the Middle East and contagion to China. I mean, that's uh, – we're going to have to watch how that develops over the next couple of weeks, aren't we? Well, I've- think so, for sure. Um, Contagions to China have probably come
1: through the impacts in terms of global growth uh, and in terms, in terms of the export engine there. But in terms of the Middle East, um, very vulnerable to higher food prices. Um, and uh, mm. I think Ukraine uh, made up 25 percent of global exports of wheat uh, and was pretty close in terms of barley and corn as well. Um, and as we know, the Middle East is very large uh, importers of grains and food. Um, so they could potentially come under a little bit of stress, uh, particularly on the ag- agricultural side.
0: Yeah, but I'm, I'm wondering about, you know, it's, it's, maybe sanctions is a bit of a grand word, but if oligarchs money is finding its way to the Middle East, uh, how the West is going to take to that? But look, it is a big question to us to lay in the podcast. Let's not do it. Let's look at today. Uh, not a great deal, is there? ANZ job ads for Australia, China's balance of trade, German retail sales. Normally we'd sort of say these are second-order data releases, they seem pretty inconsequential right now, given that everything that's going on. Uh, but uh, what will be interesting? Philip Lowe is uh, speaking at the AFR Business Summit on Wednesday. I mean, things have moved on a bit since the the meeting, even though it was only last week. So it's going to be interesting to see where his headspace is and where the RBA is sitting this week.
1: Isn't it? Oh, definitely. And just to give a reminder that the RBA's central scenario, which predates the Russia-Ukraine situation, uh, was mm. uh, was on track to have a rate hike uh, in the later part of this year. And so the real question for RBA Governor Lowe, at least from a markets perspective, is does the upside risk to inflation and possibly the downside risk to growth, uh, what does that mean in terms of the interest rate track? And does that bring forward interest rate rises uh, towards earlier on in the year? Um, In Australia, we also get a smattering of other uh, data as well. So we get the NAB Business Survey on Tuesday and also the Westpac Consumer Confidence Survey on Wednesday.
0: Okay, good. All right, we look forward to that. Good to talk, Tapas. Catch you again very soon. Thank you. Uh, cheers Uh, thanks phil and a final tip for you uh given that we all have to watch the news to see what's going on my wife and i have found uh you can recover quite quickly by watching a program about dogs or other fluffy pets just to keep your mind a bit balanced that's it for today i'm phil dobby for now back again tomorrow morning see you then